nothing else to do. And uh, I've never done this before, Rick, you know, but I just want to let you know, first thing, let me just say, I got one of the greatest human beings in the whole world, Rick Dempsey. And let me tell you something. This guy had the best arm of a catcher that I had ever seen. And if it wasn't for Thurman Munson, this guy would have been the catcher for the Yankees for many, many, many years. And when we traded him to Baltimore, they had a great, I knew they got a great catcher in them. And look at how many years he's done. And Rick, I'm just telling you, it's wonderful to have you, big guy. I haven't seen you in years. And, you know, you look great and everything. And, you know, it's the greatest part about this is, you know, you make so many great friends outside, you know, uh, after you play baseball, but you are the best big guy. You really are the best. And I appreciate you coming on tonight. And, you know, these fans, these Yankee fans, because I wrote an article about, I didn't write it. You know, I mean, Lenny did it, but we did something. And I mean, you had probably about 500 people to talk about you. I just want to let you know. And the funny part about it, your son saw the article. I think he said something to you. Am I right? My son? I think so. Okay. Somebody said that they, uh, my father, I told my father about you, about the article, and it was so good. You probably don't remember, but it's been like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it goes back. I forget. Bo Jackson loosened a few screws <laughs> up there, Ronnie. <laughs> I uh, know, uh, no, no, you're the best big guy. I don't remember a lot of things I should remember. <laughs> now, you still working for Baltimore, am I right? No, they, uh, they, they, uh, they pretty much uh, terminated me uh, this year. Yeah, no. yeah, it's pretty sad because you know when when Peter got dementia and turned the ball over to his sons. Yeah, uh, I'm not so sure the sons enamored were enamored with me because I had a great relationship with their father. Hmm. And I think I was going to be one of the first guys on the way out because I made too much money. Uh, it might not have been the same kind of Yankee money. I made a pretty good salary. And I think I was I was on that first big boat out of Baltimore because Are of you all kidding the kidding me. I mean I, mean, I don't think you, the kids want to keep the, the ball club. They just want to make it look more saleable. Rick, I, I, I know that you feel the same way. The game has totally changed, big guy. Oh, and my God. It's, this it's analytical stuff is the biggest, uh, oh. biggest phony bunch of bullshit that I've ever I've ever heard. The way they're going to rank players today and it's do terrible. this. Uh, it's, it's, it, terrible. it's crazy. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, it's, it's, it's really terrible. But I know that John and Miles, I know Miles wants to uh, talk to you. Uh, okay. He has some questions he wants to ask you, big guy. Miles right, is well, a psychologist. And I hope you really stay with us the whole time. <laughs> I love baseball. I love the history of the game. I am so on your side with what you're saying about the fact that the game is so changed. Don't I can't stand the seven inning double headers, a guy in second base. I don't, I don't like the instant replay. I think it's ridiculous. Um, you know, you know, uh, last week the Mets had a game, they had four hits in a row and I was like, Oh my God, real baseball. You know, it was, amazing. <laughs> I know. Hey, uh, John, if they didn't have instant, if they had instant replay in my day, I might've thrown 60 to 70% of those guys out every year. It, it was ridiculous. I mean, hey, now this, this guy had the best arm of any catcher that I ever seen catch. He had the best arm. He had the best release. And wow. when we got him from Minnesota, and when he started catching down in spring training, and when he, him and Thurman, who else was catching then? Was John, uh, Gary Bill Moses? Down there? Remember Bill Bill Dakers. Dakers? Nah, he yeah. was He was one. Well, yeah, he was one. He's, he's still not out yet. I think he's still in, you know? <laughs> but you understand what I'm talking about. But but anyway, oh, yeah. yeah, but but let me tell you something. Rick, I mean, this guy could play. And like I said before, when we got, uh, when we traded, uh, uh, and he, he went to Baltimore, and he became Mr. Everything in Baltimore, and, you, and he became in the Hall of Fame. And he deserves every single accolade that he has done in baseball because he was that good. He was really that good. And I wish we would have kept him.
but you know, it's great to be able to see him. So Miles, talk to him, ask him some questions. Hey, but anyway, Rick, his best friend is Art Chamsky. Remember Art Chamsky? Oh yeah, I know yeah. Yeah, you remember, you know, on the other yeah. side of town. Yeah. yeah. Miles, start talking. Well, first, John, Joe, Lenny, Boomer, okay. and Rick. Good seeing everybody, Rick. It's an honor, and um, you know, definitely watch you when I was a younger guy in my twenties uh, and thirties. I remember watching, well, maybe not thirties, but twenties, definitely uh, seeing you play. Um, you know, great career. Um, I'm a sports psychologist, and I work with a lot of uh, youth athletes, middle school, high school, and college athletes. And um, you know, you know, I've seen a lot. Of, my son's also, by the way. My son's a catcher, senior in high school, starting catcher tomorrow night in a district game, and uh, he's going off to play at a uh, college in Pennsylvania, Ursinus, on an academic scholarship. So, you know, goal achieved. That was a goal we set at six years old. Um, yeah. But as, as, um, as a sports psychologist, so I work with a lot of kids, a lot of youth. And first off, I went on your website, and I saw some stuff there, and I watched a couple of your videos to get to know you a little bit. And there's a couple of things you mentioned, um, and it sounds like you're probably a sports psychologist at this point, too. You do motivational speaking, you go to corporations, you go to youth camps, things like that. And you talk to kids, giving them your experience. And you, something you mentioned there that really struck me, two things, hustle and harness the strengths and minimize the weaknesses. If you were to tell a youth athlete, ath, excuse me, English, if you were to tell a youth athlete about what you mean by hustle, I mean, we, you know, I grew up watching, you know, um, Pete Rhodes. And to me, that's the ultimate in hustling. If you talk, if you talk to, somebody, to a youth athlete about hustling or um, what would you say? And also, what do you mean by harness your strengths and minimize your weaknesses? I know, but what would you tell as a, uh, a man who played 24 years in the big leagues? What would you say to kids who don't know how to hustle, who don't know how to harness their strengths, who, who only focus on their weaknesses? Well, Ma, the, the easiest thing in the game to do, hustle. I mean, everybody has their maximum speed, but if, if you go out there with the right attitude that you're never going to give up, then those are the kind of guys that you see hustle all the time, no matter what. Even when the pitcher, a chopper back to the mound and you're the last out of the game, you run as hard as you can because you just never know. Once a year, they're going to miss that play out. Game. And if nine guys can do that every single night, that's nine more games through the course of the season. And how often do you ever win a pennant or a championship in a division by more than four or five games? You just don't do it. So you have to dedicate yourself to your job. It's a 365-day-a-year job. Right. And you've got to take it like that because my entire career which lasted 27 years, minor league and, and, and major leagues. When I got home from the season, I unpacked the next day. I was on my first seven-mile run up in the mountains, and I never stopped because I never wanted my shoulders, my throwing ability to atrophy. That was my bread and my butter was the defense. I actually was a pretty good hitter when I came to the Yankees because I had some great tendencies. I was so good in eight ball, they called me up out of the May 360. I had 600 in instructional league for a month and a half. You know, I got to the, um, I, I did what Ronnie Bloomberg did this first time. I, in the, I hit 500 also. We didn't get a lot of advance, but you proved you could do certain things at the major league level. You paid attention to the game. Mm -hmm. you learned it from the veterans. I talked about. A doctor, a guy wants to be a doctor, he has to go to school, they come a bunch of books, you read the books, you take the test, you pass the test, you're a doctor. You want to be a lawyer, you go to school, the same stuff, you get a bunch of books, you read the books, you pass the test, you'll become a lawyer. You want to be a baseball player, they have no books to show you. You've got to ask questions. I was so lucky to be with around people like Harmon Killebrew and Jim Cott. And, and Dean Chance and guys like that when I first broke in, when I was 19 years old in the big leagues, I was barely 160 pounds. And I wore them out asking questions about how to play the game and what I should do. I already knew there was nobody on the field that was gonna outwork me. I was gonna run my heart. If I died, I died. But I was gonna run my heart out. Nobody could outrun me. Nobody could outwork me. 
Nobody was going to out throw me, block me. Nobody was going to out hit me. I just, uh, it's an attitude that you have to have when you go out there on the field. And, and it really hurt me to see players uh, throwing me out there. Great young player. I mean, guys that are big in this in the in the baseball now who who give up halfway to first base when that when that line drive looks like it's going to get caught and the next thing you know it's off the top of the wall and they're standing there picking their nose at first base when it should be maybe a triple. You know, you just you that is unacceptable in the game. But now we accept it. Now we're changing rules of the games so that we we can accommodate players in particular pitchers who who can't go deep in ball games they don't go home they don't work for the first month you know getting the, the oxygen the weather gets cold towards the end of the baseball season and you kind of get a little you know sloppy and everything you got to kick yourself in the butt day one and get back on the road again and build that strength back up i was on the disabled list two times my entire both times it was because of broken bones. It wasn't a pulled muscle or anything. Uh, Don Gullett threw at me for swinging too hard. Um, had him on a 0-2 pitch. And Bo Jackson got me at home plate. My glove got caught in the neck and he broke my thumb. I saw that, yeah. And the only good thing about that was I held him less yards than Bosworth did. But you know, some this is that was what when I came out on the field every day, I came out to win. I had to find a way to win. And learning how to evaluate pitchers and catchers in the game of baseball, that was my job. And when you and when you evaluate hitters and pitchers together, you learn how to approach pull hitters, you learn how to approach slap hitters. You know, guys that spread the ball around in the cup and call games against. But you know something, the whole game lit up. You pay attention to the guys ahead of you that have done it already and the and the, the devotion and the work ethic that they had. If you thought you were you were gonna outwork they you couldn't miss. Right. Sorry to take up what an answer. You just mentioned work ethic, and I I would like to write notes as you were talking. Um, you said no one outworked me um, and you talked about work ethic. And I was going to ask a question actually about, you know, you spent 24 years and did at least 27 as a professional. How do you keep that work ethic going when, listen, my son's in high school and he knows he better work his tail off or he's going to have, you know, there's going to be hell to pay because I don't stand for anything less than 110% effort. Um, and I always preached to him, you know, you want to, you want to practice and you want to train and you want to play like you're trying out for another team. So you're always motivated. But the problem is, just like you said, I see so many kids pop the ball up to the infield and stop running to first base. And, oh, my God, how many times does it fall in? And, and, and the high school season is not that long. It's really not. It's a couple, couple of months. I see so many kids who don't, aren't even able to keep the work ethic for three months yet you did it for 27 years how do you what would you tell a kid how do you do it what do you maintain that mentality to keep going no matter what when you're hurting when you're tired when you're hungry when you're not playing you know I, it just seemed like i put up with so much adversity my entire baseball life even before i became a professional people always said he's too small he's not going to make it you know uh he's not powerful enough you know, he's not going to hit enough home runs and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. It never bothered me that much. It motivated me that much. And that's what it was, is I had it in me that I was going to prove to them that I could find a way to be a winner in baseball. That's what it used to be all about, was winning. Now it's all about the money. $30, 40000000 million a year. Come on. My God. <laughs> if I was playing in today's game, Ronnie, I'll tell you what, they'd have never let you go after what you spent eight or nine years in the big leagues. They'd have never yeah. let you go. You put up huge freaking numbers for the small amount of time you got to play, huge numbers. Yeah, but let, let me tell you something. The difference between Rick and the people nowadays, this guy came from the old school. This guy played the real game of baseball. The game of baseball is not real. It's a fantasy game of baseball now. These guys, you know, once they hit a home run, 
you know, I mean, they run it around the bases. They see how far it goes. They jump it up. They throw their bats up in the air. It hits a catcher sometimes. Hey, it's no big deal. You know, everybody said it's a show. It wasn't a show when we played. When he was out, let me tell you something. When Rick was actually catching, when he was catching for the Yankees, that's when I saw him the most, of course. This guy took charge of the game. This guy, you know, I mean, you had Thurman and you had him. And it's really no difference between Thurman and Rick Dempsey. I'm just telling you right now. And you could tell when he went to Baltimore, this guy became what he should have been with New York if Thurman wasn't already there, okay? But this guy gave 120% every time he was out there. Whenever he popped up, I mean, it's many, many times I've seen him come back to the dugout and, you know, he has an RA. In baseball, that's called a red ass, okay? And, you know, but you got to have that. You got to have, you know, you, you got to be, you know, I mean, you can't just sit down and, and, and just forget about it. I mean, you know, you, you got to improve by it. And, you know, and this guy, when he was uh, catching, when he was catching, there was nobody Hardly anybody ever called off a, a pitch because he was catching, because he knew exactly how to pitch each and every player. He knew how to do it. He wouldn't stay up in the big leagues X amount of years. I mean, hey, you know, I mean, it doesn't happen anymore. You know, if he would have still played, if he was playing uh, back in the day and had 24 years, this guy would have $700 million in the bank. Believe me, you could have bought the whole league twice, Rick. You know, these guys are making so much money. They could buy both leagues in a row. You know what I mean? For what they paid for the Yankees. This guy, I'm just telling you, Doc, hey, I, I, I played with him. I knew, hey, I have never seen him when he was catching ever back down from somebody that's going to run him over. Never, never. He just bared down and this guy was nasty too. And this guy knew how to play. And as soon as somebody hit him, they both got up. You know, Rick got up. The other guy would get up once in a while. And, I mean, they show respect. And, you know, when he caught, you know, the whole league respected him. I'm just telling you right now. You know, hey, John, I know you've never seen Rick. Hey, Rick, John, I met John at uh, uh, Cooperstown. Uh, have you been? To, you've been to Cooperstown, haven't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, have you ever been to a place called Seventh Inning? It was all the way down the street. Uh, it's a, you know where the hall is. It's all the way down on the other end, on the left-hand side. That's- It was the uh, old theater building. Oh, really? It's a big old theater building. I, I, when I got to the Hall of Fame, that's just what I saw. We never had much time to run around the town or see different things, you know? Um, that We went right after the first, uh, year of playing at the NYP League. I was MVP of the NYP League and we, we all got a chance to go to Cooperstown. So we jumped on that bus and you know yeah. it was a great day for us all to see. And all that kind of stuff was so inspirational for, for me yeah. and, and a lot of the guys that I didn't make it to the big leagues. I was lucky. And uh, so it was just those were good times and, and times that uh, we were very thankful to have. See, I met John. He was uh, representing, well, he wasn't representing. He was doing a lot of stuff with Ozzie Smith and Doc Gooden. And wow. that's how I met him. And, and he's very, very, he's from upstate New York. Where are you from? Uh, near Utica, right? Utica, yeah, Utica, yes. From Utica. He, you played up in the NYP League. Utica had a team, didn't they? Utica Blue Sox um, for the longest time. Yeah. Yeah, but that's 100 years ago. It's no Blue Sox when we're there, you know, believe me. But uh, uh, but I met him in Cooperstown, and he was representing all these guys, and he handles all the memorabilia. And I know you get tons of stuff in the mail all the time. And, you know, he handles all this stuff for me, and he's unbelievable. He's really, really great. And, you know, he knows the good people and the bad people. But John, you, you, you're the best big guy. You're really, really Thanks, best. Ron. But uh, you. you got any other questions, Miles? Oh, yeah, I could always have more questions. Um, I, no, no, no. You, you need to ask <laughs> him because this guy is the best of the best. Oh, no. Like, I, I, have, I wrote several questions down. Um, 
Uh, I do have a question to ask you, a couple of questions, actually. And again, back to the sports psychology part of things, you played 24 years, your first six or seven more as a backup than as a starter. When you got to um, Baltimore, you became a starter in what, 76 or 77? I don't recall what year it was. Um, 77 was my first full year. Okay. So how do you stay mentally sharp, not knowing, I mean, listen, I know ballplayers want to play. No one wants to sit on the bench. I know that. But how do you stay mentally sharp, not knowing when you're going to play? I have a lot of kids I've worked with, and that's one of the issues. They, they, they think there's favoritism because they're not playing, and it might not be that. It might be a talent thing. But what do you do to stay sharp so that when, you is your, when your number is called, you're ready to go? Well, you, you really have to devote yourself. And, and one of the big things in baseball now, which is a travesty of the game, and I try to tell major league catching coaches that I've seen in Baltimore and said, well, you guys are making a mistake because think about it. The organization hires kids to come and warm up pitchers and bullpen. During the course of the game, those kids are the ones that really handle the workload in the bullpen now at warming up pitchers. Your job as a catcher, first of all, you got to understand, and I learned this from a lot of good catchers of my time, um, Yogi Berra was one of them. Jim Hegan was another one. You have to spend time with those pitchers like they were your wives. You've got 13 wives and you don't want nobody else messing with your wife. You know, and they go out to warm up. I know it's hard to do it for everything, but you've got to go out there and spend the time with them and find out exactly where their release point is. How does that ball spin? How big is the breaking ball so you know exactly where to put your target? You've got to break it down. You don't let any stone unturned. Don't leave any, anything unturned. This is what keeps you sharp because you know when you come in the game exactly what Milton Ottomeyer slider looked like. You knew exactly that Catfish Hunter liked to throw the two-strike slider up and in on the left-hander's hands. You talk, all you got to do is talk to them. Like I said, you have to ask questions. You have to say, what can I do to help you get deep in ball games and help you win? You know, so they tell you, so you don't forget that. So you stay focused by doing things that you would have, that you're going to have to do in a ball game. So your preparation, it's all about your preparation. It takes a lot of the pressure off because if you know, you start off by saying, okay, I have to learn how to block. I'm going to keep my glove down between my legs. I am not letting it come up for nothing. That ball is going to hit me in the chest. I don't care where they throw it. You know, so you you, you get that confidence of you know, balls of your feet, just like a guard in basketball. You're on the balls of your feet now behind home plate. And as soon as those go back so fast, you're down, you're ready to block. That was the difference between me and a lot of the other, the other catchers in the league, both I was going to beat him to the ground. I saw the ball out of the picture because I've warmed him up and caught so many of those pitches. I knew what it looked like when it, when it released here. I knew it was going to be okay. When it released down here, it was going to be in the dirt. So I make the block. Steve Stone, just a little story. He came to us, a sub 500 pitcher with a white sock, and we picked him up. A little curveball thrower with a nice little paint up and occasional fastball that wouldn't bruise you. But his first game with us as an Oriole, there was the, the tying run was on third base. He had a chance to win. And I went out to him with a two-strike situation. I says, hey, uh, it was less than two outs. I said, I want you to throw this curveball in the dirt. He goes, no, I can't throw the curveball in the dirt. That guy's going to score. I said, Steve, the ball will never, ever ever get by me. I promise you that. I don't care where you throw it, unless you throw it over my head, it will never get by me because I see it off your fingertips and I know what it's going to do before you do. He says, okay, throw the curveball in the dirt. The guy swings at it. I block it. Now we got two down. We get out of the outfit. He won 25 games for the oh, first man. time. He was a Cy Young Award winner, 25 and seven. Oh. And he never, ever questioned me again about when I wanted him to throw something in the dirt. Never, never said another word, because he knew he could, he, that ball was never going to get by me. So things like that give you that confidence. 
stress about those kind of things in a ball game. You're anxious to get in the game because you know you're the only one that knows enough to get these guys through this game. You've got to have that confidence. You have to believe. And so if your work ethic is get to that climax of the baseball game, the game on the line, then those thoughts never go through your mind. That lack of confidence only comes from those that don't devote enough to that part of the game when they need to be productive. So basically you just, you, you simulate uh, game-like conditions when you're not in. All the time. There you go. There cannot, you go. Be, cannot be afraid to work. Watch the catchers in baseball today. They're, they're not even sitting, the backup guys aren't even sitting on the bench. They're in the clubhouse fooling around. Yeah. And I, and I have a theory about the game and I tried to tell the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfra, Oh. I tried to tell him, I said, you know, you're trying to change every rule in the game to speed the game up. I can speed the game up for you with one move. And he kind of snickered at me a little bit. And I said, no, okay, you don't believe me, but think about this. It's common sense, Rob. And I'm sure that insulted him because he's an attorney. And you know how attorneys get assaulted if you, they, you know something they don't. But anyway, I said, listen, I've noticed over the years since I retired that the catchers in baseball are sitting back farther and farther and farther. Now the backswing of every hitter is in front of the catcher instead of behind the catcher. I used to sit up so close I could touch the back leg sitting on both sides of the hitter so that when he swung, his backswing went behind me and it never hit me. In 27 years, I never got hit in the head with a backswing. You know, I got it on the elbow a few times, but not enough. The reason now, when catchers move back and they try to catch a breaking ball right on the corner, by the time it gets to them, they're backhanding this ball over here and deep. And it was a strike when it was home plate. Three feet farther back. Now you look at every catcher, you watch and see where they set up. Now the umpire has to adjust the balls and strikes because he's sitting over the shoulder. So he's now four or five feet farther back than they used to be in my day. Catch, umpires always used to say, boy, I'm glad you're catching. I got tired of catching. I said, don't you ever worry about it. Nothing ever going to get by me that doesn't bounce over my head. So he goes, yeah, okay. So I, I never had any issues. But the thing is, when you reach out frame a pitch, you bring your elbow back and look what your hand does. You bring your elbow, bend your elbow back and it brings the ball right to the strike zone, not the stuff where they grab it and pull it over like this and say, oh, that was, I framed that pitch perfectly. You gotta give that pitch. No, you didn't. You have to catch the ball softly with that elbow bending on both sides of the plate. And those are things that I developed on my own, you know? kind of did it because I spent so much time in the bullpen working with pitchers, that relationship right. got good. Then I knew how to read pitchers. And when a guy came along that I knew was a power pitcher, I knew how to call a game for him. You know, what to focus on. Power pitchers pitch off the fast. Next guys pitch off the changeup or the whatever they're thinking. So I hope that kind of answers your question. Oh, very much so. And, uh, you know, you brought up the framing. I just want to talk. My, my son, Ron, can attest to this. I sent him videos of my son. He does what you're talking about. Uh, first, yeah, off, he, he's, he's quick. He's quick. And he was he was taught to be about arm's length from the batter. Um, yes. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. That's exactly how you describe it. Right. And, but he does what you said. He's really good at framing the low pitch where he'll take his hand and just, just do this. Just flip it up a little bit. Just flip it up a little bit. Where we have, just like you said, is um, we see a lot of catch. In the, Miles, you tell him about, you see the wrist, you bend your wrist, just pull your arm back, let as the ball starts to hit in the pocket, yeah. you'll, just be, you'll be taking it and it doesn't look like you're moving your arm. It stays in the zone. With this, it stays in the zone. And the, the kids, the, it's just yeah. a little bit of give, it's a little bit of give when you stick yeah. this. And, the, and it closes right up. And you wonder what, I was saying, 
because I've, I've done the studies on it and everything. Catchers that sit farther back, you know, it's a nightmare. That's why no starters can get to the fifth inning. Can't get the pitches on the corners called strikes or anything that's close to the corners called strikes. What happens is now you move those guys back up closer to the plate and they start to get just 15% of, their, of a 200 pitch game. 15% more is 30 more strikes during the course of the game. Out of those 30 strikes, if you want to talk freaking analytics up your ass, like these guys do today, <laughs> go ahead and 15, you're going to have eight to 10 more two and two counts on the hitter as opposed to three and one. Now give Ron Bloomberg a three and one fastball and see what the freak happens to you in Yankee Stadium down in the right corner. It's going out of the ballpark. Two and two is a little bit different. Now I can mess with him. I'm going to yeah, throw him a curveball. You got to adjust. The hitters have to adjust to the pitchers. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's a guessing game. You know, and, you know, the catcher is the guy that is totally in control of the pitcher. Where he really, that's why you don't have anybody that ever, uh, 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 you know, uh, 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 wave any pitchers off with uh, uh, Rick catching and Thurman catching in the same way. But you got a lot of catchers now. We're taking a prime not. example, like Gary Sanchez. You know, it's every other pitch. You know, they, they, you know, they, you know, I mean, they don't like to throw to him because I mean, he's he's he doesn't have the. Uh, I hate to tell you, you know, I mean, I'm not talking bad about because he's a, you know, he's a big league heck of a good ball player and he made you know and whatever, but. Uh, uh, you know, this guy right here knew how to catch. And, I mean, uh, this guy is the best of the best. I mean, you know, that's why I, I wanted you to talk to him because your son's a catcher. And, you you know, you had tons of – ask him more. You know, I mean, you got him here. You're not going to get anything better than uh, a Rick, you know? Instead of a sports hey, question, I have more of those. I want to ask you about Earl Weaver. What was he like? Oh, my God. Huh? What was Earl Weaver like? Because I'll tell you honestly – I miss the days of Earl Weaver, Billy Martin, Luke Pinella, Spike Anderson going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the umpires. You oh, had yeah. a front row seats to that stuff. That's great. How, tell us about that. Well, umpire, umpires were afraid of Earl at first. You know, when he started to put his antics on and he got out yelling and screaming, I think umpires realized this guy kind of knows what he's talking about. And he's fighting for his players. Then it, begot, it became showtime for Earl, where he really, you know, put the hat between the thing and, and beat the umpire on the nose with his <laughs> cap and, and, and kicked dirt on home plate. You know, that was the showmanship coming out. Of but Earl actually did know the game better than any manager I ever played. He was a miserable son of a bitch to get along with. Miserable. <laughs> he would never pat you on the back. I don't care how many great catches, great throws, great hits that you got. He would never say anything nice to you because he told one day that he did not want to have to feel bad when he came to tell you that your time was over and that you had to move on. So he never got warm with anybody. But I would have much rather played for Earl than any manager in baseball. I don't care how much they pat you on the back. Billy Martin was good. He just wasn't quite as good as Earl was. And you could argue and fight with Earl about things during the game. Earl was a very, very strong, fundamental manager. I can remember playing catch in front of the dugout somebody in the grandstands, who the heck knows. Uh, but if I dropped a ball, he would scream at me every time. I had 15 years in the big leagues and Earl's still screaming at me, catch the goddamn ball, catch the ball, catch the ball. <laughs> Everybody, he had no favorites. He had no favorites. And so, I mean, you learn to focus on doing the little things that win baseball games. You don't bobble the ball on a double play. You turn the plays. And that's why we were strong defensive ball club all the time. You had to really beat us with the bats if you were going to win a ball game. You know, the Rick, Yankees kind of got that way. Rick, let me ask you a question now. Yeah. Of all the pitchers, of all the pitchers that you uh, uh, caught, who did you like to catch the best? 
Well, Jim Palmer actually got caught 200 of his win. And he was by far the most consistent pitcher in the game of baseball, probably the most consistent now in the history. And this is his approach to the game. He had like his second or third year before he retired, he had 25 complete ball games. That's more than the entire National League and American together <laughs> the last couple of years. It's Palmer had a way. I was just going to say, like Miles, I was going to say, you run into pitchers that take control of their own game and they make it so easy on you to call games for them because you ask them what you want to do and you know exactly after a while what they're going to throw in certain situations and how they're going to do it. Not very often are they caught. When they turn their back on you and they walk around home plate kind of taking a few extra minutes to figure out what you want to do, then you know you've got to make a suggestion of a, of a different pitch. And a lot of times it works for them and they learn to trust you, but they still call their own game. Mel Stoudemire called his own ball game. Catfish Hunter called his own ball game. Palmer called his own ball game. You know, Jim Cott called his own ball game. You know, you, all you had to do was make sure you put the number down and you kept them in rhythm. That's all. The rest of them, you had to help get them through ball games. I've had situations where back and the other guys, you got to kick them in the ass. You know, Sammy Stewart was a great young talent. He came to the big leagues, started his big leg debut off seven consecutive strikeouts. But he was a you know, he was a party guy. He wasn't always a starter. He was a long guy. He was a we were up in Oakland once in a one-run ball game in the ninth inning, <clears throat> and Mike Davis was coming up the fastball down and away. And he goes, "No." And we argued about it from behind. I went out to him. I said, "Sammy, I said, let's get ahead of breaking ball. This game's going to be over." I was, uh, "Okay, we'll go." The first pitch, fastball down the way. Mike Davis hits off the top of the right field wall for a stand-up triple. He was so mad at me, he wanted to pinch my head off, and he could have done it. He was big, big, mean country boy. So I went up to the mound and said, what are you mad about? Oh, I didn't want to that fastball, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, he hasn't scored yet. I said, have you given up? He goes, no, I haven't given up. I said, well, in nine pitches, we were out of the inning, and we went to the ballgame. He was so angry. I think he threw 105 miles an hour for nine straight pitches and just blew everybody away. <laughs> That's how you, you get into people's pitchers' heads and you find out the guys that, that want to do it their own way, and then you comply because they, they can be successful. And then you get the guys that really need your help. And that's what your son needs to learn to do. Read pitchers by warming them up and spending time with them. I'll know exactly what kind of curveball, breaking ball, you know, help you put the slider. If the slider's this big, put your target that far down and outside on the outside corner, you know. So there's a lot of things to be learned, but it's fun once you learn it and you take control of the tempo of the game. When you're moving the infielders in because all of a sudden you feel like, oh, Mickey Rivers, he's gonna bump this time, and you bring him in and sure as hell. You get that feeling inside of you that you've seen so many ball games. You know, Ron, you know what I'm talking about. You know what's going to happen. When the momentum of the game takes control, you know what's going to happen. See, so, Rick is a computer. Rick is a <laughs> computer back there. So, you know, when, when they talk about analytics and they try, you know, that's why this guy could never play with analytics because he has that computer in his mind. He has that natural ability to know how to catch and to relate how, you know, it's, it's not how good, how hard, you know, how, uh, you know, how great arm you got. And, you know, it, you got to know how to call games. You know how to relate to pitchers because like Rick said, you got to pitch, you got to relate to each and every pitcher that's out there. Sometimes you got to baby them. Sometimes you got to kick them in the uh, ass. And sometimes, you know, I mean, you, you got to yell. I, I mean, it's, you know, this is what he does. And that's why he's so good. You know, that's why there's so many catchers out there. You know, hey, they catch one day and they off two days and they catch, you know, I mean, this is how they, him, you, you have to, you have to catch him. 
you don't have to catch him because he's so good and he, he's so analytical in his mind and he knows how to pitch every, you know, ask him how to pitch somebody, you know, hey, pick out somebody and he'll tell you how you pitch this guy. Because, I mean, you got to learn these things. You know, like Dylan has to learn all these things. You got to tell him how to do it. Get some, uh, hey, this is the greatest advice in the world. This is a major league all-star. This is a major league Hall of Famer right here. This is what he is. Right. Ask him. We at Miles, you know, we had, late in my career, I played with the Doc '88. And Bob Costas looked us up. We were the worst. World Series team in history on paper. In 88, right? And the team we were playing was the best World Series team in history on paper. Conseco, McGuire, Parker, all of them, name it. They had a power like no team has ever had, even the Yankees. So, you know, I was playing all after the second game. I, I came in and, um, I finished up the World Series and I was wondering, how are we going to get these guys out? Well, because you, I've learned to read hitters, it was kind of weird that I was a little bit worried about it. But when Conseco and McGuire came up, here was the front foot up and go way this way to the left. Mm -hmm. And that told me right there that they were looking for the ball in. Because Ron will tell you when a hitter gets beat on the inside part of the plant, well, he's activity up there now. <laughs> he knew he's going to get a 3 2 slider every time from this guy and that count. And he made the mistake of it. I don't believe it was that. over with. That's right. That was the momentum we needed right there. I remember that. Yeah. So anyway, both of those, both of those, every player on the team would open up when he wanted the ball middle in, looking for the fastball. And then when they come up pigeon-toed, then I knew they were looking for the ball middle away so they could keep that left shoulder in. Yeah. So we just adjusted. And it was the easiest series I ever called. Both of those guys only got one hit. Yeah. But you got to remind your son that he has to. Analytics is fine to learn to know a guy's strength and what he shows you on paper. But when a hitter makes an adjustment, you have to make an adjustment and my don't let your guys walk into trouble. Right. So. My, son's, my son's pretty good. Um, the coach usually lets him call the game. Um, he's pretty, pretty smart about that, mixing up the pitches. And um, he does um, go out to the mound. Let's say the, the pitcher is struggling. He'll go out there and he'll try and calm him down, get him refocused. Uh, sometimes, like you know, he's got to be reminded to do that because you know he's still young. But he he does that, and uh, um, so it, it's it's great to see first off that my son is doing the things that you're you're recommending. Uh, yeah. he's, got, he's got some he's had some very good coaches too, which is just phenomenal. I'm loving the coaches he's had. Um, you know, interesting you say that. You're just talking about '88. Um, you know, bittersweet for me. I'm a Mets fan. Ron knows that, but you know. Um, like the Yankees, I got to say that on on, on the online. Um, but in '88, you, you know, you guys, you, know, you guys beat my Mets in the, in the playoffs, and um, it it was really hard. And I still haven't gotten over Sosha's home run off of Gooden. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I haven't gotten over it yet. Um, that but, was a tougher series. Oh yeah, I tougher series than the Oakland series. I, I was actually at that game where Sosha took my heart yeah. out basically. Um, but so you guys were fortunate to win then, but you, you played in the world series in 79 against the, we are family pirates. You were and it was my fault. We lost it. I'll tell you later. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm curious. Well, you were up three to one. That actually adds to what I'm going to ask them. You were up three games to one and you know, the stars are led team. They come back, they, they storm back and they win four games to three. I was going to ask you, how do you reconcile that in the long off season? But now I'm curious what you wanted to say about how you lost it. And, and then how did you reconcile with that? Well, I learned a lesson from there. Okay. And uh, I shot my mouth off when, when they, in the very first game before the Dodgers game, down the first and third base lines, you all go down there. I went up to shake uh, Earl Weaver's hand and I looked over at, um, the manager of the uh, um, Chuck Tanner, 
uh, of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I said, Chuck, if you want to get it over, we'll quit. When they get on base, let them try to steal. And uh, he shook his head at me. Oh, yeah. So the three guys, uh, uh, Marino tried to steal. Jackson tried to steal. Parker tried to steal. Wow. And I just, I mean, by a lot. Okay. And so after that third game where we won, they stopped running. Now, I knew they were a stronger offense. They were the best hitting team in baseball at that time. They were monster hitters. And all of a sudden, now they stopped running. They stopped giving extra out per inning on the bases. And it really hurt them. And then Chuck Tanner made an adjustment. Nobody tried to steal after that fourth game. And they got their momentum back and happened for them. And, and then Earl Weaver made a mistake. Because uh, we had we had men on first and second with nobody out. John Longstein hitting Billy Smith behind him, and I was behind Billy. I was having an MVP season, a series there too. So if Earl Weaver would have bunted John Lowenstein, bunted them over, they walk Billy Smith to load the bases, and I hit with the bases loaded. And for some reason. I don't know. I just forgot about batting I forgot about you know, getting hits, and I just tried to put the ball in play. And I think I ended up second in all series in history behind Yogi Berra as the most productive catcher ever. But Earl Weaver wouldn't butt. And what happened, they charged uh, the play with the third baseman. But, and the shortstop was going to cover third base. John Lowenstein took the swing and he kind of off the end of the bat hit a hole right between short and third. And Tim Foley ran right into him, tagged third base, and went through back to first. And it cut the rally down. And that's how we ended up losing not only that game that gave them momentum to get back in the series. The following year, they did the same thing in Yankee Stadium again with the same exact thing. And we were tied with the Yankees with three games to go. And Earl would not bunt the guys. Earl hated the bunt. He hated would the not bunt anybody over, even though he didn't care who was in. He certainly didn't want to depend on me with the bases loaded. But whatever. It was bad. That's, uh, you know. I had I, I ended up, I took the blame for that series because if I would have just shut up, maybe he would have tried to steal a few bases to get some momentum going on his ball in that series. And, uh, and we could have, I could have thrown him out and we could have won that darn series in five days. But whatever. Woulda, coulda, shoulda, right? Woulda, shoulda, coulda. You're right. Right, right, right. All right. What else, John? You have any questions at all? No, I'm enjoying this. This is great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be listening to. It. That's awesome. So, ask him another question because we will have to go in a couple of minutes. Ask him a couple of questions, Miles. Oh, I got a trivia question um, for you guys. Uh, what three catchers have um, been the only guys to ever play in four decades? I'm not going to answer this. Well, you, you should know the answer to this one. Oh, I do know the answer. Tim yeah. McCarver, Rick Dempsey, and I got to think about the third one. Man, you got the one that nobody ever gets is Tim McCarver. Well, I grew up. We met he no actually one. shouldn't have gotten it because they activated him for one game so he could get four decades. That's not Who is it, Simmons? Hudge Rodriguez, maybe? No, no. Ted Simmons? No. Give you two more guesses. No, give us a hint. <laughs> no. Okay. I give you a hint. Okay, it's not. Uh, uh, wait a second, Miles. Help me out a little bit. Uh, Ray Fossey? No. 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 All right, I'll give you. I'll give you one hint, John, because you're done with your last one. It was a Yankee rivalry. Catcher for the Yankee rivalry. It got to be Fisk then, because he, you know, he played so many years. 
You're right. We got it. Oh, we got it. Miles, <laughs> you should have known that. I did. I said, I asked the question. I knew it. I knew the answer. You know that, but I, <laughs> I did know that. I asked him. Oh. You should ask him, what about your Babe Ruth impersonations during rain delays? That was. Oh, my God. He well, was the best. Sparky Lyle was the one that wanted to do that. We were, I was in right field with Sparky one time toward the end of the season. They would find players for throwing balls in the grandstands back in those days. Now they want you to do it for the fan souvenirs. But Sparky said he would get all the fans screaming in one section and then he'd throw them <clears> the ball and blah, blah, blah. And so it, it was raining one day and they Get them all singing and, and get crazy, and then I'm going to go out and do a pantomime of Babe Ruth calling his home run and slide around the tarp. Sparky never did it. I think it was 1977 that I did it, and we were tied for second place with the Boston Red Sox. Yep, <laughs> there it is. I, wow, <laughs> you guys are going back in the archives. <laughs> uh, I did the pantomime. Uh, we were tied for second place with one day left. So the Yankees had won uh, the divisional title. And uh, the Boston Red Sox and us were playing for second place money. And a rain came. They covered up the tarp. And it had everybody yelling and screaming for balls. And then there was a ball left on the tarp. So I went out and, uh, on the tarp and grabbed that ball. The organist started playing raindrops were falling on my head. And I got everybody in the stadium singing. And then uh, that was it. I left and went into the clubhouse and the fans didn't want to go home. They started beating on the grandstands, which is deafening as Ronnie knows underneath because we were right underneath them. And it was deafening. And they said, Rick, you got to go out there and, and, and do something else. I remember Sparky said, do the pantomime of Babe Ruth. So that's when I did the pantomime of Babe Ruth. I called his home run and ran around the bases, and that was it. It ended up uh, doing three times, and, uh, and I called it quits. <laughs> it was crazy, but when you're winning ball games, you can get away with a little bit of the fun like that. You know, uh, if you only did it three times, that's amazing because all of us remember it. Oh geez, I know. That's crazy. Three times. Yeah, it was it was nutty, but I, I every now and then to do something crazy. As long as we were winning, I could get away with it. When we were losing, I never would have been fooling around like that. I'd have tried to have been invisible. Right. Now, Rick, what are you doing now? What are you doing? Just stay at home? I, I stay at home. Yeah, I work around my yard. I do a lot of landscaping stuff around my own place. Um I play a lot of golf now. Uh, you live in Baltimore? I live in California, just north of LA. I'm inland from Malibu, about 15 minutes. Okay, okay, so you moved back out home then? I, yeah, I, 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 I actually grew up in California, although I wasn't born, I was born in Tennessee. But I grew up in California and that's where my kids and everything live. Now my oldest moved back to Philadelphia with all my granddaughters, but one of these days I'll go steal them all back. Now, Scotty McGregor is living in Baltimore. Does, did he go back to El Segundo, California? No, he went back to Baltimore. He lives in Baltimore. He's, he out, of base, there. he's out of baseball also? Uh, yeah, they, they fired him last year. Really? They don't want any old time players, and especially guys like Scotty who won a lot of ball games. Yeah. They, don't, they don't want any kind of input from older players at all. Sad. They've said that. They actually told Eddie Murray one time, listen, Eddie, we, we would like you to be an ambassador. We'll pay you to come in and sign autographs, but we do not want you to talk to any hitters. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> Eddie Murray? I, I can't figure that one out. Eddie was probably the biggest clutch hitter in the game. Oh. I don't know that he ever hit 300, but he was wow. a year of his life. But when the game on the line, you wanted Eddie Murray in the batter's box because this guy, he had a magic wand. Wow. 
He had a magic wand. He was crazy. The one thing you never wanted to do to Eddie, if you threw at Eddie, he wouldn't fight you. He never tried in his career, but he would get locked in at home plate and you would pay for it. Tony LaRussa made the mistake in 1982, uh, no, no, 1983, of throwing at Eddie in the playoff game. That was the year the White Sox won 120 games. Eddie sat back and hit a three-run shot, Ronnie, in right center field at Old Comiskey Park that landed oh. on top of the roof and went out of the stadium. Really? And, uh, and La Russa I had at him saying, thank you very much. Really? Now, were you around the team when Sparky gave up that home run to Richie Allen in Comiskey Park? Were you at Yes, I was, was there. I, was, I, I caught that game. Was that incredible? That, that home run, I think it hit that uh, the scoreboard out there. Yeah, the scoreboard, yeah. Yeah, I called that. <laughs> that didn't go. That didn't go like what, fifteen feet up in the air. I mean, that was. Oh, oh. my God! And he used to turn the bat this oh. way. Come all the way around. Now that guy was strong. He was almost. He almost had hands as strong as yours, Ronnie. I remember that about you. You were massively strong. So it was amazing how how quick you could get the bat through. That little pitch down and in. Oh, I like that. You were strong. You, you like miss that. balls and they go out of Yankee Stadium. No. Oh. no you, you, have, you been, have you been to Yankee Stadium? Well, yeah. Did you used to travel with the team when you worked with them? Did you travel or you stayed at home? Uh, when I worked with who? Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I six years also. I was a coach for oh, Mike Hargrove when he What is Mike doing now? I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to bring up anything. Well, it was, you don't have to say anything. Um, but hey, Joe, are we okay or what? Oh, well, you, you yeah, got any? We're doing you good. got any questions you want to answer? Ask Joe. Joe, we're doing good. We're doing good. You got uh, any questions? Well, we. I have one question from someone that's watching on Facebook. Okay. What are your thoughts about Tommy Lasorda? I love Tommy. He he uh, he was an incredible manager. Oh, not that he was a great manager because I played for some great managers, you know, Earl Weaver and Billy Martin and, and play uh, managers like that. But Tommy was the best speaker game has ever had. And he was a great motivator. He was so good. He could talk the devil out of hell. He was that good of a speaker, but he, I don't know. 88. But he had all the kind of players that really, you know, bought into that. You got to believe. And he was right. But he just, we had so much fun together with Tommy that uh, that year, uh, I don't think anybody will ever duplicate. If you stop and think about it, with the kind of team we had, it, it was a miracle that we won the World Series. And that was a lot because of Fred Flair, who put a great team together, the general manager. And Tommy Lasorda, who motivated every player on that team to play above his talent level. Wow. Anything I else, Miles? Let me hey Rick, let me let me say something to you. I, I really appreciate you, you know, doing this for us. You know, I mean, you know, it's wonderful to see you. Thank you, you know, and you I, too, I, Ronnie. Thanks, big guy. You know, I respected you so much. And, you know, you're such a great ball player. You're such a great friend. And, you know, I mean, you're such a great ambassador for the game of baseball. And uh, no, and you are. I mean, you know, you had so many good years and, you know, you should be very proud. And, and you know, and, 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 hey, we played together. What, what we played together? Three, four years, probably? Three years? Uh, yeah, four years. Yeah, we played together Almost four, four years. years, yeah. And let me tell you something, you know, I mean, he, he was, he was, he was unbelievable. And, you know, he was such a great guy and, you know, and uh, 
I haven't seen him in years. So this is good about, you know, the older guys like us. You haven't seen guys for so long, but you feel like you have seen them. And, you know, it's we, we have such a great uh, 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 feeling towards each other. Yeah. We have, and nowadays, you know, they, they, they carry their earphones. Uh, they carry, you know, they, they, they find their money uh, guys, what they made. And, you know, they, they stay in their rooms all the time. They don't, you know, I mean, but with us, you know, I mean, we had a good time. We went to the ballpark. What about together. the money? No, we didn't make any money. We had so much oh. fun. I mean, we did. I mean, hey, we had some good days and some bad days, but the majority of them, we yeah. be, we stayed friends. And, you know, because we haven't seen each other in a long time doesn't mean anything. But, you know, I love this guy. And, you know, and uh, I remember when we got him. And, you know, and I'm so happy that he had such a great career. And, and I really appreciate doing, you doing this for us, Rick. I really uh, do. No and, problem. I, I'll do it again whenever you want it. Well, Thanks, I, I, I want to say one quick thing. Yeah. Rick, with all that abuse you took behind home plate, you still look the same, man. He does, doesn't he? You know what? Thank you right very much. On, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're dumb enough to stand in front of Bo Jackson like I did, <laughs> you you got to be a little wacky up here. I <laughs> know. <laughs> no, no. This guy, he, this guy went back down from no one. No one. This guy uh, wouldn't back down from can't no do one. That. Can't do that, Ronnie. Hey, you're the best, Rick. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you. Hey, it was a pleasure. Miles, John, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Joe, thank you. Lenny, thank you, big guys. Tell thank Joey I said hello. We will have you, you know, I hope to see you soon, big guy. I hope you get back in baseball where you deserve. All right, big guy. There's the Thurman. There's the Thurman. There's the Thurman. He deserves it, doesn't he? He deserves a hole. Oh, yeah. He deserves a hole. Love you, big guy. See y'all later. Love y'all.